Today, as we start, um, I want you to stay tuned if you're watching us online, Facebook, YouTube, or live stream, because I believe that today is a hallmark, a hallmark message God wants to place within us, something we can stand on when everything else is crumbling around us, something we can hold on to when we feel like we are drifting. And so today, I'm going to talk to you about suffering, suffering. And uh, as we start, let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word today. God, give us direction, I pray. Give us direction to navigate through all the difficult times in life, all the dangerous things in life, all the hardships in life, the disappointing moments, God. I thank you, God, that you help us not just individually, but also corporately as you help our nation as we navigate our way through Hard times, times of rioting, times of death, times of cruelty, times of injustice, and times of great division. I pray, God, that nowhere will, be, will there be unity than there where they are gathered around your word. God, bring peace to our hearts, I pray. Let our hearts not be troubled. Because we believe in you, we believe you're good, we believe you are love, you, we believe you are supreme, you are just, you are eternal, you are supreme. You are immutable, and we can rest in who you are. In Jesus' mighty name, all those who love the Lord said, Amen. 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 One of the most difficult things in life for people throughout the generations especially this generation right here, is attempting to reconcile the fact that God is good, God is love, with the fact that humans have pain and humans suffer. If God is good and God is love, then why so much evil, pain, and suffering? Does He not care? Is He not able to stop it? And lately we have seen very prominent celebrity Christians give up their Christianity in a very public way for just that very same reason. Prominent Christians with the likes of Joshua Harris, a Christian author who sold millions of books. He's a pastor of a church, very publicly gave up his Christianity and his belief in Christ not so long ago. Marty Sampson. A Hillsong worship leader gave up his Christianity very publicly, simply no longer believes in God. Bart Campolo, a pastor's kid, son of Tony Campolo, an international and very prominent minister, very publicly denied Jesus, his divinity, the scriptures. And then this past week, we saw the lead singer of a very prominent Christian band. His name is John Steingart, came out on Twitter saying that he no longer believes in God. So here are some of the questions since I studied them, and I wanted to see what the problem was. I wanted to see what was going on. Why this trend? Why so public with such influencing individuals? And here are the questions that came from them. If God is good, why does evil exist? Question of the ages. If God is love, 
then why am I struggling with pain and suffering? Does he not love me? If God is all-powerful, which he is, then why does he sit back and watch injustice done to innocent people? If all things are possible for God, they ask, then why are we dealing with death, wars? Why are we dealing with hurricanes and earthquakes? Why are we dealing with tsunamis and devastation, rape and genocide? Why? Well, as I read through every one of them and their questions and answers, I must tell you, my heart is ablaze focused on what are we going to do with a trend that is so disturbing? What are we going to do? We all have children. We all have loved ones. We all have grandchildren. How devastating to see that come up on the screen for a preacher to see his son so publicly throw away everything that he once said he believed in. So I thought about it, and I realized, you know, we can go through our whole life and never be taught anything about suffering. Yet everyone experiences it. Even though people's lives fall apart because of pain, and they fall apart because of suffering, and they fall apart because of hard times, there's never a time of preparation seems to be. And never, there's never a time like, all right, this season of a person's life, they are being trained in what it means and how to deal with suffering, where it comes from, and what do we do with it? Do we just walk away from a good and loving God? Or how do we reconcile these issues that I feel are so important, especially this week that has passed as we saw injustice take place, which takes place every day. But this was very prominent and very visible. As we saw rioting and as we saw people looting and people burning, one justice doesn't fix another injustice. One injustice doesn't fix another injustice. But my point is, as we saw that happening, at the same time, we are going through a pandemic. Now, I'm very blessed. I can't tell you how blessed I am with how God has navigated our congregation through this time. And we've been able to help certain people with food, and we've been able to help other people with, um, with different things. As some people have absolutely no one, and some people are aging and have no one, Thank God for the body of Christ. Thank God for the body of Christ. I'm so blessed to see just how stable things are with people individually between them and God. But this is not so for everyone because questions come and people start wondering about why this pain? Why this danger if God is all-powerful and caring. So there's no preparation for it. And I think that needs to change. I, I really do. Because it's one thing to get everybody 
excited about a God only when they grow up. Like, like Bart Campolo, he grows up and he says this. He says it on a movie. He says, why would I serve a God of the Bible if I can imagine a more loving and caring God? Realizing that this is a minister speaking who grew up as a pastor's kid. And the reason he's walking away is because he can't reconcile the issue. It's too hard. Nobody walked it through with him. I happen to love, it's, it's strange. It's God gives you a love for the people he sends into your life. And I want to be helpful, not hurtful. I want to be caring and loving. And therefore, it's important for me. It's heavy on my heart as we went through this week to say, family, family of God, we have to start thinking through this so it doesn't take us by storm or our children unexpected. They don't teach class in school called Suffering 101. <laughs> you don't go to college and get a PhD in suffering. <laughs> Nobody teaches us that. <laughs> Nobody's taught on why there is suffering and how to deal with hard times. That being said, today I want us to look at just a few things. Of course, we cannot completely unpack the doctrine of suffering in this segment, but I certainly want to look at 10 reasons as to why or where does pain and suffering come from. 10 biblical reasons. I want to also look at four questions that you can ask yourself while going through a hard time. Four questions to ask yourself in the midst of suffering. Then I want to share threefold use of pain and suffering. How can it be redeemed? How can God redeem the very pain you are going through, the very disappointment you're experiencing right now? So first, where does suffering come from? I have ten origins for you, ten sources. The first is Adamic suffering. We live in a world where our first father... Adam sinned, and as a result, as you all know, sin and death have now come into the world, and things now are broken. They never used to be. Things now decay. They never used to decay. Things now become dangerous. Animals, lions, things become dangerous. They never used to be. Things now wear out. Our knees wear out. Our hips wear out. Our hearts wear out. They never used to. Now creatures die. They never used to. But because of the fall, this Adamic suffering comes upon us. Things stop working. Men suffer to make a living by the sweat of their brow. Women suffer in pain while giving birth. This is not because God is angry. This is not because God is picking on you. This is because you're living in a fallen world. It no longer functions the way God originally designed it to function. The entire world, the Bible says, groans. We experience broken climate systems, earthquakes, and the like. And, and, and by the way, that's not because of your hairspray. No, it's because of sin. You're not going to change it with, with, with your Prius. No, it's, it's because of sin. This is why the world is broken. First source of suffering, Adamic suffering. Second source of suffering is demonic suffering. This is where Satan and demons invade a person's life. This demon will lie to a person. This demon will oppress a person. This demon will deceive a person. 
The third source is victim suffering. This is where you didn't do anything, but somebody else, because of the evil in their heart or because of their lack of care, they do something wrong or something evil against you. Somebody races across a red light and hits you. There you go. You were the victim of that suffering. As a matter of fact, there are two examples Jesus brings up regarding victim suffering, and that happens in Luke 13, where uh, they ask Jesus about how suffering is related to sin. And they say, what about these guys, these Christians who were grabbed by Nero, and Nero slaughtered these Christians, took their blood, mixed it with his offering. What about them, Jesus? It's because they sinned. Jesus said, no, it's not because of their sin. They were a victim of that circumstance. But unless you come to God, you too will perish. That was his message when he saw victims suffering. They bring up another situation. They say, what about those, those 17, 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell over in southern Jerusalem? Fell on them and they died. It was an accident. And uh, Jesus, same thing. You know, he says, no, it's not because of their sin. This was victim suffering. And he says, and what you do with it is you don't accuse or excuse God. You call people to God. Let me say it again. You don't accuse or excuse God. You call people to God. Why did it happen? Why? We don't know. And it's okay to say we don't know. But we know what to do with it. Call people to God. Because look at how fragile life is. So we have Adamic suffering, we have demonic suffering, we have victim suffering. Fourthly, we have disciplinary suffering, disciplinary suffering. This is where God, like a loving parent, knows that you are doing the wrong thing, you are going down the wrong path, you're into a wrong direction, and um, it is going to harm you long term. God at that point brings a season of discipline to you for your temporal and for your eternal benefit. It says it in Hebrews 12 verse 6. For when He, God, punishes you, it, the punishment, shows that He loves you. Hebrews 6, 12, 6, the B part says, It proves you are really His child. It proves you're really His child. And He goes on to say, nobody, nobody enjoys discipline. For, nobody enjoys that. But it's just for a while because God, like a loving father, is bringing you into a certain place. The fifth source of suffering and pain is persecution suffering. This is simply when, uh, you know, where the Bible says, excuse me, this is when you experience suffering because you love the Lord. Persecution suffering. It is when people's opposition to Christ and their resentment for Christ is poured out on you. Number seven, the seventh source of pain and suffering is providential suffering. Uh, this is when God is doing something much bigger. This is when God is doing so, something so big, you don't actually really know what He's doing. You just happen to find yourself in the middle of it. And uh, you wouldn't even know that this is what God did until way after the fact. This is, for example, Joseph. After being hated by his brothers, well, first he was favored by his father, hated by his brothers, of course, 
thrown into a pit, sold as a slave, sold as a slave. He was lied about, thrown into prison. He went through a lot of hardship, a lot of suffering, and eventually he ended up being one of the most powerful political leaders in the nation, and God used him. And when his brothers came to be helped, he was able to help him just like, of course, Jesus. But let's stay with Joseph. When his brothers stood in front of him, Joseph made this statement. He says, what you meant for evil, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. The suffering you brought upon me, God used that suffering for his good and for his eternal glory. This was providential suffering. And only today we look back, thousands of years back, and we go, now we see all that hardship of what it brought and what it meant and how God is glorified through it. Then number eight, we have testimonial suffering. Testimonial suffering, this is when Jesus and his disciples came across a man who was born blind. They wanted to know from Jesus if this man was born blind because of his parents' sin, because now he was a baby and he was blind. And they said, well, he's blind, he was born blind, it had to be his parents' sin, that's why he's blind. You see, they're constant, consistently wanting to connect sin to suffering, or that person's sin to suffering, and blame them, all right? So Jesus says this in John 9, verse 3. Jesus answered, It was neither that, that this man sinned, nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So here we have testimonial suffering. So God's works may be displayed through that suffering. Then number nine, we have punishment suffering. Punishment suffering, this is where you commit a crime, and therefore now you have to pay a fine. All right, you break the law, and now you are given time. Punishment suffering. Romans 13, verse 3 through 4, I'd like to read it, especially in light of everything that is currently happening in, happening in our streets. It says, For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Are you guys cold? For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior. Uh, for good behavior. So if you have good behavior, you don't have to fear the government. But for evil. In other words, if you are breaking the law, you ought to fear the government. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister, it, the government, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it, the government does not bear the sword for nothing. It does not bear the instrument of death for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So, we have Adamic suffering. We have demonic suffering. We have victim suffering. We have disciplinary suffering. We have persecution suffering. We have, now we have empathetic suffering empathetic suffering empathetic suffering this is where the bible says to weep with those who weep some of you are highly empathetic you hurt deeply when you see somebody else hurt this is where moses was crushed and angered over the the the, the hebrew slave that was being beat and then we have providential suffering, testimonial suffering, punishment suffering, and finally, number 10, we have consequential suffering. This is what the Bible explains as sowing and reaping. 
Our decisions have consequences, period. Whether it is our decision to be rude to somebody and now we suffer the loss of a relationship, or whether the fact is that we choose to, uh, uh, we, we constantly eat bad and now we're suffering with, with, with health issue, or the fact that we wasted money on the front end of the month and now we're suffering, we struggle to get through the rest of the month with no money, it is called consequential suffering. Now, as you can see, there are many different kinds of sufferings, many different kinds of sufferings, and as a result, there are different responses to that suffering. And uh, today, I'm going to give you a nutshell version of our response to suffering in general. But the Bible shows us many different kinds of suffering, and it shows us many different kinds of people who suffered. As a matter of fact, every single person God ever used throughout the Scriptures went through a huge amount of suffering, hard times, and struggle. Job endured suffering. Joseph endured suffering. The children of Israel endured suffering. Every single one of the prophets endured suffering, many of them slaughtered. Every single one of the apostles in the New Testament endured suffering and died for their faith, with the exception of John, but he was exiled. Jesus endured tremendous suffering. John 16, 33, the Bible says in in the world, Jesus speaking, you have tribulation and distress and suffering. In the Amplified, it says, but be courageous. In other words, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. Why? For I have overcome this fallen world. I have overcome it. What he's saying is I can take all of it and make it work for good. So be joyful, be victorious even in the midst of your suffering. There's victory. Why do you think those guys who walked to the stake as they were about to be burnt, they sometimes sang, they rejoiced. It was a privilege. It was an honor. You see Paul and Silas getting beaten and then they, getting, then they get shackled down and on a concrete or cold floor, wet and damp in the middle of the night. They worshiping God and they singing His praises. Why? Because there's a certain perspective that, we, that has to grow within us and that there is a victoriousness inside of all of, this, all of the ruins that we see. There is, a, there is a certain glory in all of it because God can take all of this fallenness and He can make it all work together for His good, for your ultimate good and His eternal purpose. That is the God we serve. He is supreme now. He is sovereign now. He is good now. He is glorious now. He is eternal now. His aseity is viewed now. And He is immutable now. Nothing changes Him. Nothing rules Him. Not evil. He rules evil. He rules it. Even now. Nobody has ever taken a moment in time Eternity past or eternity future and sat on His throne. Nobody has ever done it. Nobody will ever do it. Nobody can. <laughs> he is always supreme. And therefore, we can walk through this fire and just glorify our God, our supreme sovereign God who works even this for our eternal good and His ultimate glory. 
How? I don't know. That's he's. That's why he's God and you're not. Even though some things are not popular for us to know, they are, however, very important for us to understand. James 1, verse 2 through 4. Let's talk about it. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter, encounter various trials. Can everybody say various trials, please? Various. various trials. Okay, so I just listed you 10 sources of trials, right? I, you know, providential, consequential, Adamic, demonic, um, you know, the sowing and reaping one. I mean... It, so it talks about these various, all these different kinds of hardships. He says, consider it all joy, though. Every single one of them, brothers. Every single one of those, consider them joy when you see them. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Okay, well, so now you have to see what he's saying. Count these 10 things I just listed to you, which every one of us experienced every, every one of those 10 within our lifetime. Count them all joy. Why? Because the testing of your faith. Oh. Mm. That testing of your faith produces endurance in you. Verse 4. And let endurance have its perfect result. Allow God to redeem the pain you go through. Allow God to redeem it by working endurance in you so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's God cho God's chosen way of strengthening you and bringing you to the place of lacking nothing. Know this, that, of course, in this hour, we had to add worship and Tim Hawkins and everything else, there's no possible way for us to unpack the entire doctrine of biblical suffering as we see every single suffering saint in the Bible that God used. Let me say it the other way around. Every single person God used in the Bible was a suffering saint, including Jesus. But what I can give you is a nutshell version, a conclusion. Know that God does not cause suffering. God, your God, does not cause suffering. Your God enslaves, makes it His slave uh, for, for, for your ultimate good and His eternal glory. God will take it and He will make it work together for the good. God does not cause suffering. God uses suffering. Every one of it. Every bit of it. All of it. All the time. Every time. God uses your suffering. And he works it together for good. You say, well, Jacques, how can we wrap, how can we put that into Bible doctrine? You'll see in the Old Testament an example and in the New Testament an example. First, let's go to Job. The first chapter is a fascinating study of God's sovereignty over the works of the enemy. Okay? Satan has to ask God permission to invade Job's life. Everybody saw that, right? Everybody knows that was true. Satan came to God. And ask permission. If God did not grant him the permission, he could not have 
acted on or invaded his life. However, when God gives Satan permission to invade Job's life, God puts parameters around what Satan can and cannot do. He says, this far, no further, okay? So Satan goes and he does what God permits him to do to Job. And when Job does not break, when he does not crumble and start cursing God, when he does not do that, Satan comes back to God. And he says, okay, Job did not crumble and curse. He did not fold. Uh, but it's not because he loves you. It's not because you are God. It's because you, God, are protecting him. It's not because of his relationship with you. It's because of your protection of him. So, God, if what you would do is you would loosen those parameters, give me a bit more room... Then Job will crumble and he will curse you. Well, as you know the story, God agrees. He expands Satan's parameters, but clearly created new parameters for Satan to abide in. He says, okay, Satan, you got more room, but it stops here. You do not kill him. You see, this was Satan's test to see if Job would worship God for who God is or not worship God because of what he cannot get from God. He was testing Job to see, and Satan believed that Job, Job would crumble when God no longer gave Job what Job believed he deserved. If Job no longer got what he wanted from God, he will turn on God. If Job needed to survive, he will walk away from God. This was Satan's belief. But in order to run that test, Satan needed to get permission from God. And here is another example. You might say, well, uh, what happened? Well, everything was taken from Job. But what did Job do? Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord. I have nothing left, but he's still God. I worship him because he is God. I don't worship him. I'm not a Christian because of what I can get. And this is where, this is where all the prominent celebrity Christians that should never have been given a microphone in front of churches, they should never have been given that because it was based on a talent, not based on what they knew about God and how they related to God. This is what causes men to walk away from God when they can no longer get what they think they deserve from God. And that is a painless life with no suffering and no hardships. And if you can't give it to me, I'll walk away from you. That's what Job's test was. And Job said, full of boils with nothing left, he fell on his knees and he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be God. Because of who He is, He's eternal, He's supreme, He's holy, He, he is sovereign, he, he is immutable, He does not change. He is good, He is gracious, He is merciful. Yeah, but look at you. It doesn't change Him. He doesn't change no matter what I go through. And no matter how I am tested. You go, Jacques, but that's in the Old Testament. Here's the New Testament one. 
in another example, Satan asking permission from God, asking permission from God to invade somebody's life. Asking permission from God to invade somebody's life. Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Jesus says, Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Now in the NASB, at the bottom, you'll find that there are footnotes. And the footnote regarding the word demanded permission, the footnote is, a, is, is the exact same translation, differently stated. And the footnote reads, Obtained permission by asking. Obtained permission by asking. So, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has obtained permission by asking to sift you like wheat. I can only imagine the conversation that was happening between Satan and God when he was asking God about Peter. It was the same conversation that was happening, similar one that was happening between Satan and God when he asked about Job. He was just saying this time around, all right, forget Job. I'm going to try this one. How about Peter? Uh, let, let me push him around a little bit and see. He's going to turn his back on you. He will deny you. Let me show you. Jesus said, he didn't say, but he never received permission. He said, no, I'm going to pray for you. He actually says that in Luke 22, verse 31 through 32. He says, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, when you have repented, when you've come back, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. It's an amazing thing. This is more good news than you realize. Who's the author and the finisher of your faith? Yes. He authors it like you would author a book. You would say, okay, this is going to be about... This is going to be a horror. <laughs> this is going to be Dumbo drops and Dumbo dies. This is going to be a sad story, or whatever the case is. Okay, so you go, <laughs> I'm going to write a book, and I'm going to start it, and then I'm going to finish it, and I'm going to determine everything about it. Okay? He is the author and the finisher of your faith. But right in the middle of him authoring and finishing Peter's faith, here comes Satan, and he's trying to sift him like wheat. But Jesus said, but I... I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. I, I don't know about you, but you know that Jesus never prays a prayer that's never answered in full, right? And so he's praying for Peter that Peter's faith will remain. Not only does he author your faith, I mean, the fact that you have faith, do you realize that it was the Holy Spirit, according to his will, that gave each a measure of faith. That for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that faith not of yourselves. It is of God. It is a gift God gave you. He authors it. He sustains it. He prays that it holds up, and then he finishes it just like he did Peter. To me, this is fantastic news because I look at somebody who's struggling with their relationship in, with God. They're struggling in their relationship with God. And I said, Jesus, you are our intercessor. <laughs> Pray for my brother. He needs, he needs his faith to be strengthened. He needs to be uplifted and upheld because he needs to return and strengthen others also.
You see, God does not cause what happened either to Job or to Peter. But He enslaves that. He oversees it. He limits it. Okay, let me say it this way. And this is what really helped me, folks, because for me to think through this subject was a war. <laughs> Have you ever had a personal war? <laughs> so because there are so many things, I, so many views I, I have and hold and, and so many things, but ultimately it has to harmonize with all of what God is, who God is, His attributes, and His entire counsel. And the thing here is that if you do not see God to be overall supreme and reigning right now during this pain, suffering, and hardships, then who is? Okay, you say, well, the, the, the Lord of this world. You know, this world is under the sway of the wicked one. Yes. With God's oversight. Because either God's ruling over evil or evil is ruling God. Which one do you want? And that question just really helped me. My sovereign God rules over evil. Because the only other option I have is to say that evil currently rules over my sovereign God. And if that's true, we have no hope. None. Not now and not in eternity. But you see in both these examples how God is the one who rules over evil even when it happens. Not that He caused it, but He enslaves it. So here are four questions to ask in the midst of suffering. You may be going through your own personal hell. You may be going through suffering corporately as a nation or even as the world. I mean, when last have we been in this, when last have we had so many proverbial fires burn around us as we currently do? I mean, here we are today. <laughs> Our church is back open. Uh, it is so awesome to see you guys. <laughs> I can't tell you what it does to have people in the building. It's just great. <laughs> so, yeah, give the Lord a praise. Yeah, isn't it wonderful? I've been saying like, Come on, Han, could you just shout hallelujah, amen, or something back there? I can't even see you, but could, hey, Steve, could you just like start clapping, you know? <laughs> because it gets pretty dead in you. <laughs> but have, when last have we had so many issues burning around us? I mean, how could it not be the end times, you would ask, right? And so it's important for us to know, okay, as we go through this time, as we go through this uncertainty, suffering individually and even corporately, financially, certainly relationally, suffering also with the questions that are being bombarded at us as Christians, you ought to have the answer, ought you not? You should see my Facebook feed, you would know <laughs> why, why I'm urgent. <laughs> so here I have four questions as that you and I, as as Christians, as brothers and sisters, ought to ask ourselves when we go through a fire. And the first is, what is suffering bringing out in me? What is suffering bringing out in me? I just gave you the two examples. 
Is my faith going to be stable, secure, consistent, and immutable like Job, who after he lost absolutely everything, declared, blessed be the name of the Lord because of who he is, not because of what he's done for me? Or am I going to be like Peter, who first chose to deny Christ's lordship for the sake of his self-preservation, but then God came to the rescue and saved him so he wouldn't be sifted? What is suffering bringing out of you? How does your faith look today in comparison to before all these fires started burning? The second question you have to ask yourself, what is suffering doing to my relationship with God? Am I trusting God's plan is still good? Now that it looks like nothing's working out? Or am I now starting to question God's goodness? Like, I don't know if... <laughs> maybe you are good, but you are not able. One of the two. Is God not good or is God not able when you look at what's going on? Is that the question you're asking now? This is the number one reason why young Christians today or young people who are Christians today walk away from Christ. They simply cannot reconcile the Scriptures, especially the God of Revelation of the Lake of Fire and the God of the Old Testament. They cannot reconcile it, and they cannot see why their current suffering could even have been employed by God. How could a loving God drown the entire known world with a flood? How could he do that? What's wrong with him? Is that your question? If God is love, then why all this evil? I'm not saying it's wrong to have a question for knowledge. There's a difference between asking a question and becoming questioning. Are you starting to question God? Or do you have a question? I love it when somebody comes with a complaint. They come with an argument. I always tell them, I, I can answer your question, no problem. I simply cannot answer your argument. I can give you an answer, but I cannot resolve your criticism. <laughs> you know, I can, I can give you an answer, but I cannot answer you if you are starting to question the character of God. That's what's happening today. People are questioning if God was lying when He said that He is always good. They're questioning His character that He was a liar when He said that He is love. They're questioning His character. And that is Satan's working even from the beginning. Is, is that not what he said to Eve? Eve, did God not say that you shouldn't eat from this fruit? No, I shouldn't because if I do, I will, you will not die. He lied. And the first lie anybody will ever tell you is that God wasn't telling the truth. That's the first lie all men will, all, will ever hear. And then when you start biting onto that thing, it leads you to a place where you end up with all of these who have fallen by the wayside 
If God is love, then why so much evil? If God cares, then why does He allow me to suffer? How could a loving God plan to one day drown an entire unbelieving world in a lake of fire forever simply because they didn't want Him? How loving is that? What's wrong with Him? You see, so the question you have to ask yourself here, what is suffering doing to my relationship with God? Because it can only bring me to God or push me from God. One of the two. That's why Job is in the Bible. That's why Jesus spoke to Peter. This is what happens when suffering takes place. That's why I can tell you, our church family, I'm just so blessed. I see people going, well, I've made my decision. I'm going to serve God. They're standing strong, solid, and they're coming to God, not away from Him when hard times hit. The third question to ask yourself is, what is being removed from me because of the suffering? What is taken out of me? God never uses a club. He always uses a scalpel. A scalpel. What is God taking out of me? What has been removed from me because of the suffering? I, I for one, you know, I, I've really, the one thing I've enjoyed about the pandemic is the falling of idols, at least for now. You know, I mean, one of the things that really just is like, it's like something going underneath your nail and you just can't get rid of it. It's like splinters in every finger of, your, of both hands, you know. It's when I drive to church on a Sunday morning and all of the sports fields are packed. You get, you get out of church and you, and you drive past the mall and the movie theaters are packed and the mall is packed. And now I just drive around <laughs> and I'm like, God, how the mighty have fallen. And at least for now, so sometimes things like a pandemic will remove idols. But what it does is it just brings to our awareness the fragility of our lives, how quickly things can just be over. Not just your freedom, but also your life. Just like that. Just like that. You have no more freedom. You're standing in a long line. I thought I was in, just to go into a store. I, I thought I was in Russia. Old communist Russia. I'm like, just how quickly this can just happen the tower of Siloam can just fall and kill people quickly and Jesus says look at that now run to God because life is this fragile so the first question what is suffering bringing out of me Second question what is suffering doing to my relationship that I have with God third question uh, what is being removed from me because of the suffering. And number four, what testimony of faith? Ask yourself this. This is awesome. What testimony of faith in God will be told about me after the pain and suffering is over? When this is all over, what are people going to look at when they see me? I can tell you now. Peter needed Jesus' prayers. Because after denying Jesus for self-preservation the way Peter did three times before the rooster crowed. I mean, that's a hard place to come back from, denying Christ. I'm not saying denying Christ while you're standing at the cross, but how about you and I? After having given ourselves to something that totally threw away your testimony, how do you come back? Having done things you know you shouldn't have done, and now you have to come back. How tough is it is to come back and... God, can you even let me back? And God, can, can you even use me again? And God, 
But Jesus prayed for Peter. And he says, now you come back and do what? Strengthen everybody else. Strengthen everybody else because you know everybody else deals with the same. So I want to end off with, how can we allow God to redeem our pain? Every one of us have pain. There's not one person here that doesn't have to wonder. Is all of the pain I went through a waste? All of the suffering I've experienced, is it a waste or can God do something with it? Can it be used for my ultimate good and His eternal glory? Is it possible? Yes, it is. And that's why I want to share with you the threefold use of pain and suffering. The threefold use of pain and suffering. Are you ready? Number one, pain and suffering is the instrument that draws us to God. It draws those whom God has placed His hand upon. Pain and suffering draws them back to God. Just as it happened for the prodigal son, pain and suffering becomes a way of bringing you from a place of affliction to the place of affection. It does that in a person's life. The second use of pain and suffering. By the way, that's why Jesus said, when you see that tower fall and kill people, when you see Nero just grab people and murder them, you turn to God or you too will likewise perish. Pain and suffering is a bell that goes off that says, come to God, come to God, come to God. If you're watching and you do not know God, pain and suffering is, a, is just a, is just, I'm not saying God did it. I'm just saying, know this, that this side of life is the only heaven one will ever experience if you're outside of Christ. This is the most of heaven you will ever have. But for those in Christ, this is the most of hell you will ever experience. So when you see that happen, run to God. If you are in Christ, come closer to God. Number two, the second use of pain and suffering is the testing of your faith. 1 Peter 1 verse 6 through 7 says, In this you greatly rejoice. Even now for, even now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. I listed 10 of them. So that the proof of your faith, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here, what we are told is, fire does one of two things. Actually, it does two things. Fire purifies and it consumes. And just like, this is the picture he gave us, just like gold goes through the fire and the fire purifies all the impurities, the gold who is now more valuable, in the same way when you go through suffering and hardships, disappointments and discouragement, when you go through it and you allow it to do its work within you, these various trials that you go through, so, all right, God, what are you taking away? Take it away from me. That's not supposed to be here. Purify who I am. And here's one way. You might say, well, how? Well, I'm wondering how many people, after going through a hardship and maybe a close shave with death, 
didn't go like, oh God, I need to fix my priorities. Oh God, I need to burn away some of those, <laughs> some of those things that I, I say is important in my life that is simply not important in my life. I need to get rid of stuff in my life. Uh, there's some people I need to walk away. There's some things I need to walk away. There's some places I need to walk away with. There's some places I need to walk to. There are some people I need to walk to. Word. <laughs> are you seeing what I'm saying? Suddenly, there's a readjustment of priorities because we were sobered up. So first... The first use of pain and suffering is the instrument that draws us to God like the prodigal son. The second instrument of suffering is the testing of our faith. Just like gold goes through fire, so our faith, we go through fire and our faith is purified and becomes more valuable. And the third, use of, the third use of pain and suffering is this. Listen closely. It is the process of falling out of love with this world. It is the process of falling out of love with this world while growing in expectation and anticipation for the age to come. Truly, I don't know a called, anointed, appointed individual whom God has his hands on that does not look at a pandemic and go like, ah, can't wait for you to come. <laughs> I can't see. I don't know one person who knows God intimately that doesn't go through a hard time and goes like, oh, man, Jesus, I can't wait to see you on those clouds of glory. Now, imagine a person... Going, oh, man, life is fantastic, man. My 401k is rocking. Everything is going my way. Everything is lined up. All my ducks are in a row. My kids are beautiful. Everybody's healthy. I have now two boats. I have three cars. I have, man, I have everything. I'm looking into another new house. I'm just, everything is just going so well. I am loving it. I am just loving life. Versus, let's go to the other side of the spectrum. Of course, our best example, Job. Here he is. Everything is gone. Everything. Burnt up, dead, and sick. How difficult is it for the first man who says, man, I'm just loving life to fall out of the love, out of love with the life they have. Let me ask again. How difficult is it for this person to fall out of love with this world versus this person that resembles Job? I mean, I can tell you right now, this guy that <laughs> resembles Job, he, he, he's already fallen out of love with this world. <laughs> he's already fallen out of love with everything that this world has to offer. But this first guy... This first guy, he's going to have a hard time falling out of love with what this world has to offer. But, you know, I, I just want to say this. That, well, let me read this to you. Psalm 73, verse 25, and then I'll tell you. The psalmist says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? Who do I have in heaven but you? But then he says this, And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Earth has nothing I desire but you, God. How true would that psalmist statement be for the man who says, I'm just loving life. It's difficult for him to say, and earth has nothing I desire but you. 
You see how the cares of this life and, and, and the worldliness and the love of the things of this world chokes out what God is doing in a person's life. Can you see that? So I asked God, has been a thought in my mind for a long time, why is it, this is my opinion, okay? You got it? There's no scripture for it, nothing. But I was just personally wondering, why is it that God, our sovereign God, who's omniscient, all-knowing, He is the wisest. He never learns one more thing. Did you know that? There's nothing for God to learn. But He created and designed life in such a way that we, we, we are born and we are young and we are strong, we are healthy, we are fast. We're stupid, but we fast, healthy and strong when we're young, right? And, and, and we feel good, and, and we, we do stupid, we jump off of buildings because we feel good, you know. And, and then as we grow older and older, we, be, we grow weaker and weaker. We grow more feeble. Our knees wear out, our hips wear out. And after a while, we struggle to get around. And, and I just wondered, God, why is it that you designed life in such a way that oftentimes feebleness and weakness and, and a worn-out body and hardships and trouble and suffering and pain and sickness and disease and these things. Sometimes, why at the end of a life so often? But my thought is just that. That there's a season when it becomes urgent where a person needs to go like, okay, now, come over here. Okay, you've had a wonderful life. You know, <laughs> you know like, you've got to learn to fall out of Love with the world and with what this world has to offer. You have to come to a place. And I'm not, again, I told you earlier, God does not, He is not the one who does evil. But I can tell you all evil works together for the good to those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. And people need to learn to fall out of love with this world and grow in their anticipation and expectation for the world to come we have to become that eternally minded and let hardships do that for you. It is a use of pain. It is a use of hardship. Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things. He causes all things. He doesn't cause all things. He causes all things to work. He doesn't cause all things. He causes it to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. I want to close off with a man that I think many of us love his name is Charles Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Now, Charles Haddon Spurgeon lived in 1834 through 1892, and he was a pastor of a congregation in New Park Street Chapel in London. He was the pastor there for 38 years. Now, Charles Spurgeon was an incredible orator. I mean, he was the, he was the top, of the, top of the line communicator. They have some drawing pictures, you know, where artists gave an artist's impression of some of his services, and he... He had such a massive voice. You know him, big beard, big guy. Massive voice, orator like no one's ever heard. Thousands of people, no sound systems. <laughs> and he would preach up a storm, and they flocked in their thousands to this man's services. Revival upon revival right there in England. When you read his stuff, you go, wow, wow. The insight this man had. And uh, 
His doctrine, his theology, such a big God theology, helped so many people to this day. Now he, all of his sermons, most of them were transcribed, turned into books. He has published more than almost any minister known even to this day. Charles Spurgeon, extremely effective, productive. However, Charles went through a huge amount of pain and suffering. They went through plagues, huge amount of deaths, burying people in, in troughs, pain, individual pain, family pain, community pain, church pain, country pain, worldwide pain, suffering from beginning to the end of his life. On top of that, Charles Spurgeon was known, very well known, for the fact that he suffered with deep depression his whole life. Clinical depression. Nevertheless, even so, Spurgeon, in the midst of all of that darkness and pain and suffering, personal and, and, and community, he rose up <clears throat> and became a spiritual giant. God used him in a mighty way to preach as much as he did, to do as much as he did, colleges, Bible schools, hospitals, publishing books, more than anybody even to this day. He made this statement, and I quote, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. It is my prayer today that you and I, knowing that pain and suffering is part of life, and anybody that thinks it's not, you would think that they're a two-year-old. Only a two-year-old believe that pain and suffering does not happen in this life. They expect life to be painless and without suffering. But you and I, we know better. And it's my prayer today that you and I, as family of God, that we can be aware and mature enough, alert enough to say, God, I have these questions I need to ask every time I struggle, every time I go through a fire. And I want to make sure that you, God, have all of my cooperation in redeeming every little bit of my pain and suffering for my ultimate good and for your eternal glory. In Jesus' name.